I was going to start out by singing, I am the church, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together, all who follow Jesus all around the world, we are the church together, but the video gaff was a whole lot better. <laughs> we are the church, yes, but, yes, but. I'm just asking for a friend, said one. But what if my friend doesn't believe in the church? What if my friend doesn't believe in the church or organized religion? Can they still go to heaven? Good question. Do we want to do a vote here? You know, if, if heaven were a democratic society, with Congress and God being the executive, of course, at this point, we would take a vote, right? Now, I could go into all kinds of stuff about what's been happening over the week, but I'm going to really stay away from that as much as possible. Thank you. You're welcome. The answer simply, in terms of salvation is yes. Yes. We can find salvation without the church. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not any of your own doing, but a gift from God. An affirmation of the power of Jesus Christ. And what happens when we have faith in that power. But... The church is given as a gift from God, a a gift through the authority of Scripture to bring others as well as ourselves into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we may grow and prosper in that faith. The church is a place of community and care. The church is a place of love and forgiveness. The church is a place of growth and accountability. And without the community of faith, we are handicapped. Without the practice within the community of those principles that are outlined in the New Testament that that build our faith and we are sanctified by that grace, we cannot keep a full Christ-centered relationship. Right? So really the question, what if I don't believe in the church, is really a challenge to us. That maybe we haven't been the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to recover who we are as the body of Christ. The community, the love, the forgiveness the growth, and even the accountability. Maybe you've heard some of these uh, questions and comments about the church. They're some of the most common that are made. The church is full of hypocrites. I don't want to ask for hands. The church is judgmental. 
Yeah, we probably can be at times. I can have a relationship with God without the church. Yes, but no. Christians, I love this one, Christians get on my nerves. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for that. Uh, churches talk too much about money and buildings and not enough about God. But I hope that's not the case here. The church today is more about the organization than loving God and loving others. That might be an indictment. The God of the Bible is no different than other religions. Now, actually, I'm going to come back and visit that in a few weeks. Because during the season of Lent, I'm going to do a series called Songs of Hope. We're going to really dig down into the uniqueness of Jesus and who we are as Christ followers. And what that uniqueness means as it compares even to other religions. Not that I want to stand in judgment. I just want to paint for us and to, and to outline for us what is a biblical description of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and what he does that no other can do. So back to the church. Our friends and coworkers no longer ask, what church do you go to? They ask, why bother? Why bother? So today I want to address the question, why is the church important to us? And, and to some extent, provide maybe a, a, a primer for you to, when you're talking with your friends and they challenge, you know, who we are as a church, what you can say, or who we can be. Because what if I don't believe in the church? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in our sight, your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, may these words be your words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's start out with the passage that was read for you earlier. I'm going to outline a couple of passages as I kind of hopefully paint a description of who we are as the church. The first is a place to belong. In, in Romans 12, we quote this time and time again. Uh, it's an interesting passage. And let me tell you why it's interesting. For as in one body, and the Greek there means a singular united force. A singular united force. For as in one singular united force, we have many members. Actually, the word there that is translated uh, many is polos, which means a great many, a multitude. And, and, and so many you can't even count it. And not all the members have the same function. As a friend of mine said, there are always as many opinions as there are noses in the room. Not all the members have the same function. Not all the members have the same function. But we are all one body 
in Christ. Now, the Greek word that says in Christ refers back to all that is before. The many, the diversity, the differences that we have when we are in Christ, fully and completely, which I'm not sure we'll ever achieve that in this life, but when we achieve it fully and completely, we are one body. And individually, we are members of one another. Now, when I read this passage, what what it says to me is that this body of mine, though, as I've said before, it's easier for me to count the things that don't hurt when I get up in the morning than the things that do hurt, it still functions without me thinking about it. I take a breath, I swallow, my heart beats. My kidneys work. My liver functions. I don't have to think about any of that. It just happens. It is the way the body works. Naturally. That's the way the church should be. United in Christ. Working together without effort. Paul is highlighting... That in spite of our differences, it is the use of our gifts together in unity with Christ that sends the message that we need each other. We need each other. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm biased. I grew up in the church. I can count on a couple of hands how many times I've missed worship on Sunday morning. It is a part of my life. I would not know what to do. As a pastor, I've heard other pastors say that when they go, is, is Doug here today? I'm just going to check with Doug on this one. He's not. I'll have to just call him out later. <laughs> I've heard pastors brag, you know, well, when I'm on vacation, I don't, uh, you know, I take a vacation from church. I couldn't do that. Now, I'm not trying to hold myself as something that, that, is, that is some kind of model because I'm certainly not. But I cannot imagine a life without the church. I cannot imagine a life without the church. I cannot imagine the support, concern, and love that I receive and that I have received in every church that I've been in. I know that when I walk through those doors, there may be those who disagree with me. There may be those who who have... uh, have, a, have an issue at one point or another, but I know that I am loved. I know that. I believe it. It is my place to belong. Second, the church is a place to grow. In Romans 10, 14 through 15, we see these words. Um, and I want you to Focus on three words. How are they to believe first if they've never heard? And how are they to hear unless there's somebody to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? How can you be a Christian without the church? How can you? I mean... 
how can you believe if you have not heard? How can you he- hear unless there is someone to say it? And how can you be sent unless they are sent by the body? Faith comes by hearing the message. We have a need to be strengthened. We have a need for community. We have a need for each other. And all of us have bad habits. And we are prone to stray. When Jesus said that we are sheep without a shepherd, it was not a compliment. That's why we need the church. Third, it is a place to practice. Now, the next two, I think, are most important. So I want to really, hopefully you can take these home with you. A place to practice. There is not one sports team, choir, um, drama troupe, there, there, that would not go forward without practicing. Right? I mean, it'd be crazy. They practice their skills. And, and musicians practice their skills. This is our place to practice. We come and we practice our worship. We come and we practice our prayer. We come and, and we join together in practicing what it means to read and understand the scriptures. If we don't have a place to practice, how are we going to improve in our faith? A place to practice. James 5 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, I just picked out this one passage. This is a part of chapter 5 of James where he's kind of outlining what, what it means to be a part of a body. And in this particular case, he's talking about prayer. He's talking about confessing our sins. But unless we have a body to do so, unless we can practice, we cannot grow. Tonight, uh, 5 o'clock, there's a group that, that I formed, and, and you're welcome to come. This is an open group. We're putting together a task force to look at the prayer ministries of our church and to grow forward in prayer. We, I don't know whether you know this or not, but we have a, someone that comes in and prays over every chair in this, in this sanctuary, in this worship center. Every Sunday morning, there are people that pray for, for us as we are meeting. And I want to expand this, that every time there's a meeting, every time there's a, a group that's studying, that someone is in our prayer room praying, that that becomes a power source. Now, you know, I, I feel like I've been doing this a long time. And so when the group met last week, I put together this extensive PowerPoint vision. I was pretty proud of it. It's good, wasn't it, Scott? It is really good. And then somebody asked, What does God want? So, you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to practice. We're going to join at five o'clock and divide up and to go to different places in the church to pray for 45 minutes to seek what God wants. Not what John wants. Not what the consensus of the prayer group wants. But what God wants. To practice listening to what God wants. And next, 
<laughs> and I love this. The church is a place where the Spirit is multiplied. The church is a place where the Spirit is multiplied. Jesus said in Matthew, Jesus is quoted in Matthew toward the end of his gospel, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. This doesn't mean that Jesus is not with you when you are praying on your own. It doesn't mean that, that, that you cannot receive the visitation of the Holy Spirit when you are by yourself. What it does mean is that there is a special anointing when the people of God are together, two or more are greater. For as we join together, our spirits are multiplied. You get that? I mean, I can't understand why somebody would say, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm a believer, but I don't want to be a part of the church. Why would you not want to be a part of the multiplication of the Spirit? Why would you not want to be here every time this place meets so that you could be a part of that multiplication of the Spirit? I... Uh, when I teach leadership, I, I, when I'm talking about teams, I use horses as an example of what this means. Some of you may know this. You take a horse that can pull 5,000 pounds and a horse that can pull 7,000 pounds, okay? That's 12,000. And you would think then if they were together, yoked together, they would pull 12,000 pounds, right? Wouldn't that be right? Anybody know what the difference is? When they pull together, they pull 50% more. The more horses there are, the greater the multiplication. That's why old timers and before vehicles, motor vehicles, would have teams of horses. Because they could pull together what they could not pull individually. The Spirit of God is multiplied among us when we gather. The Spirit of God is multiplied when we call upon the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God is multiplied when we get down on our knees and call upon the Lord. The Spirit of God is multiplied as we are unified in Christ. There's too much in this world today that's being multiplied. Skepticism. Hatred, separation, bitterness, depression, conflict, selfish intent. People are gathering together to, <laughs> with that intent, and it's just, it's like a cancer. It is time for the church to begin to live our purpose, to multiply love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. For us to live by example who we are. We cannot multiply unless we are together. So, that's the church. What does that have to do with us going forward? I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You know this is a place of belonging. You know this is a place of growth. You know this is a place of practice. 
You have experienced the times in this church where the Spirit has moved and it has been multiplied in, 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 the, in the devotion and, and, and submission to the Holy Spirit. You've seen that. You know it. So what? So what? The so what is, we're getting clobbered. We're getting clobbered out there. The narrative that is being shared about the church needs to be faced and confronted. Not with hatred, not with bitterness, not with, but with love. We need to live who we are. We need to be the church. In Matthew 16, 18, I want to put it up on the screen here. Uh, Jesus said this to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, prior to this statement, Peter was called Simon, which means one who listens. Interesting. That's not the picture that we get of Peter. And obviously, Jesus knew that. Because after this, Jesus says, from now on, you shall be called Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's been a misunderstanding over the years in different church groups and, and uh, that, that the church was built on Peter. Thus, the Pope and blah, blah, blah. But when you look at the Greek, it's not built on Peter. It's built on Peter's affirmation. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So much of what the people say today about the church is true. We can be judgmental. We can be hypocritical. And we can be too focused on the organization. We are human. We are broken. But friends, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. And no one can take that away from us. And the so what for me on this, for all of those who would ask the question, what if I don't believe in the church? Let them walk in the doors. Pray that they will walk in the doors. Pray that we will have the opportunity to love them and to show them that what they hear about the church is not the case, not here. We are the church. It's time for us to reclaim the narrative of the church and nah and live the old song, they will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Fred Craddock, Dr. Fred Craddock tells the story of um, his father who's had esophageal cancer and was dying. They had to remove his throat. He couldn't talk. 
But his father had been a long-time antagonist to the church. His mother was very faithful. She, every time the doors were open, she was there. She drug Fred with her. Consequently, he committed to go to the ministry, ended up uh, not only doing that, but teaching at Phillips Seminary and then at uh, uh, Candler uh, uh, Seminary and at Emory University. One of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. It says a story about his father that it got to be a joke. This is back in the day of revivals, okay? It got to be a joke that they would, they would kind of uh, bait the revival preacher to go see his dad. And his dad, who was very articulate and very argumentative, would just literally tear the man, and it was a man back then, limb to limb. And walk out just sweating and saying, this man is hopeless. Lost. What happened when Dr. Craddock's father got esophageal cancer is that his wife could not take care of him completely. And you know who helped him? The church. Day by day, they would take turns and they would come and sit with Mr. Craddock. When um, he got so bad, they put him in the hospital and he was really in his final days. Dr. Craddock went to see him and he sat with him day after day, father kind of slipping in and out of consciousness. And then one morning, early in the morning, his father came to and he looked at his son and with recognition, he reached out desperately and grabbed him by the, by the shirt and pulled him down. And he was trying to talk. And, and finally, he, he pointed to a pad at our, our marking board. And Dr. Credit got it. And he pointed to all the cards on the wall from the church members. All the flowers that he never deserved. And he wrote in big letters... I was wrong. We all know that the narrative out there is wrong. Let's change their minds. Let's change their minds with our love.